Hello and welcome to Talking HE, my name is Santony Vassant. In this episode we speak to Peter Reed, Managing Director of Interactive Pro, an online program manager. We discuss Peter's journey that led him to his current role at Interactive Pro, what the opportunities and challenges are of working in an OPM, how Interactive Pro deals with student support queries, and Peter describes the partnership with Brunel University London. We hope you enjoy this episode. So uh, Peter Reed, uh, managing director at Interactive Pro, which is in uh, an OPM, an online program management company. Uh, long background working in public HE. Um, probably spent I don't know, 10, 12 years uh, working across a few different universities in the Northwest at Liverpool John Moores, Edge Hill University, Manchester Met, and the University of Liverpool. Uh, before I joined the private sector, I joined, uh, so I was at Liverpool um, and Liverpool, quite well known, Liverpool partnered with a, a, an American company called Laureate for their OPM work for their online programme. So I joined Laureate from Liverpool. Um, I was there for four years before I moved to Interactive Pro and now I'm the MD. Thank you for joining us on Talking HE. I'd like to begin by asking you, what are the opportunities that you've had in working for an OPM such as Interactive Pro, and have these been different to your experience of working in higher education, and have there been any challenges? Quite a meaty one, really. Um, I, I don't know if I would say there are major differences in the opportunities that can be presented. I don't think. I was very fortunate um, my time working in HE. Uh, I had some great experiences. So um, began, well, when I was working at, uh, at John Moores, I actually straight, straight from doing my degree, I was working in, in the library services, um, working on a computing help desk. Uh, and after a few years there, kind of figuring out what, where I was going, um, I got some progression there, firstly, and moved to Edge Hill um, as a learning technologist um had opportunity at edge hill to do a secondment to manage some projects um so i managed the jisc funded uh, reproduce project back in the day um and the ha pathfinder projects so um that was a real early opportunity for me to step up and, and kind of develop a, a bit, bit of broader experience outside of the learning technology areas um from edge hill uh, i kind of had the opportunity so I, i'd previously finished my master's and done my PG cert back, back at Edge Hill um, and then got my first academic job at Manchester Met. So again, that kind of movement around of, of roles. Um, and at Manchester Met, I was teaching um, computing and multimedia studies, but also playing a role to drive technology enhanced learning strategy within, within one of the faculties linking in with the centre. Um, so that was really interesting. Moved to Liverpool a couple of years later, um, again, in a faculty role where I was responsible for some teaching, but also driving, uh, you know, adoption and, and uptake of um, a strategic uptake of technology enhanced learning. 
um, again within a big faculty linking in with the centre. Um, and, and I was on a kind of academic pathway um, starting my PhD. So again, opportunities were unfolding at Liverpool. So I think in all those, in all that background, each almost every time there was opportunity to to grow and develop in different areas. Um, and I guess just at the time I was just jumping at anything that was was coming my way. Um, when I moved to the private side, um, yes, the similar opportunities arose. So um, I joined Laureate as um, a director of learning solutions originally. Within uh, within the first year, I was promoted, um, and then my role broadened out. I was responsible for more of Laureate's partners, not just Liverpool. So Laureate had a partnership also with the University of Roehampton and then the University of Miami in the US. So uh, the private, both I would say, both the public side and the private side gave me those opportunities to grow and spread my wings, if you like, and then um, and develop different skills. So I wouldn't be critical of the opportunities that present themselves in in public UK universities. Um, I think sometimes change is slow. I think sometimes it, it, it can be challenging to grow upwards. And obviously, um, there are only so many, like if you're working in a learning tech team, there's only one manager of the learning tech team. So sometimes progression can be slow. And sometimes like I did, you have to kind of go around to go up, if you like. Um, but I was really fortunate with the opportunities that presented themselves and, and working some, with some great people that, that really helped me along the way. Do you say that the opportunities at, at your current employer, Interactive Pro, are similar, greater or lesser than maybe your last role in the public sector? I think it's really tough. I think it's probably the same, in, in all honesty. Um, progression, I think, in any company can be difficult, especially when you've got a team of people who all want to progress and there's not many roles. Like, figuring out progression is is a difficult challenge for for leaders and for HR departments. I think, um, I think where the private side excels a little bit um, is in the speed to change. So when uh, and this is this is kind of separate to progression just on its own. Um, but when when you see challenges in in from the business perspective, they are much quicker. It's much quicker to react and and forge a new path forwards, and from that, different opportunities come through, and you don't really get as many. Or in my experience, you know, this is not your job. Stay in your lane. Like I've never really had that in in the business side. It's more like okay, well, we all have to come together and you know collaborate and pull our way together in different ways and if that means as a particular role you spread out and do an extra little something that might not be on your job description well that's often in my experience that's been encouraged mm. yeah that's that's really interesting and have you noticed any challenges that are different to the public sector in your current role um, for interactive pro not so much um not so much, I would say. I, I did have, um, I always had a bit of a mentality, which was interesting that when, I mean, anyone who knows me knows I'm like pretty relaxed and, and casual and informal in, in most of my conversations. Um, and I remember when I left Edge Hill to go to Manchester Met, I thought, oh, it's my first academic job. I'm going to have to step up my game a little bit and, you know, be better at X, Y and Z. Um, and then I got there and I was like, oh no, actually, 
this is no different. And then when I went to Liverpool, I thought, oh, right, big Russell group now, I'm going to have to step up my game again. And I got to Liverpool, I was like, oh, actually, no, it's it's no different. And then I went, when I joined Laureate, I was, I did think that as well. So it was, there was two kind of senses that I was aware of when I was joining Laureate. One was, it's the private side, it's a much faster paced, much faster paced, and I'm going to have to step my game up to, to respond and fit in with this company. But also, there was a big element of being professional and and. I wouldn't say I was unprofessional, but like the casual approach that I've got, I thought I would need to change. But then I also came to the realization that I'd always I'd said that like in the last four jobs, and I thought, no, I need to make sure, and you know, do my do my own due diligence when I was moving to the private side, um, and make sure I, I'm not gonna, I, I don't think I can change in that side. Um, I'm pretty flexible in, in what I can, you know, in changing various aspects. But I am who I am, and um, I, I, I that was a big a big switch for me there is making sure that they knew who I was and they were, they knew who they were getting because I knew I couldn't change the, the fundamental aspect of who I am and almost like the authenticity of that so um that was a big switch and then I joined and I thought well actually some people are pretty good but some people they're no different um so I always had that kind of I need the challenge of I'm gonna have to step up my game and step up my game and you know can I make it in the private side and actually it was fine all the way through. There was some really, some really top talent that I came across um, throughout my journey in in UK higher education um, that would not have no problems doing you know doing it in the private side as well. Um, so, uh, challenges wise, I mean that was a long a long winded answer to probably say probably not. I think the challenges were my own imposed challenges. Um, I guess the fast, fast, the fast-paced nature of the private side could be a challenge if you were the very traditional person in, you know, in in UK higher education, which we all have always communicated and understood to be quite slow moving and um, and slow to change direction. If you're one of those people, then maybe you would you would struggle. Um, but I think, in my experience, a lot of the people in, in like the learn and tech side that I've worked with, um, a lot of the, a lot of the academics I've worked with in different areas, like over the years, supporting healthcare, you know, healthcare faculty some of the best faculty I've ever worked with, like um, great attitude, great approach, very inclusive about collaborating, um, like some fantastic people. So challenges, probably not so much. It's just different. It's just a different environment with a different lens looking at often very similar problems. And is there something that um, the public sector could learn from from an OPM? Yeah, I, I, would, I would be inclined to say yes, that kind of speed and agility sometimes it's hard to apply that to you know a 150 year old academic institution and the mindset of, of that is absolutely completely 100 percent different um and and then we're getting into you know you can get into a lot of philosophical discussions about the role of universities um and obviously over the years we've seen lots of conversations and frustrations from within the sector about universities closing down programs for example um because they're not recruiting as many students or they don't see this as a, as a strategic business opportunity kind of compared to the academic you know angle of discussion that this is carrying on knowledge that's been in you know in academic conversations for for many many years and you can't just close them off because in a way you're killing you're going to end the cycle of of progression of knowledge and, and diffusion of that knowledge. So um, I would say yes, but with some caveats there, I think you need to be very careful. I think one of the big things in in the OPM space is that 
I think a lot of the criticism has been about the pure commercialization view of that. And I wouldn't deny that that, that it's there, because of course it is, but I don't think it's quite as obvious as a lot of people in the public sector think it is. Um, you know, the, the drive that they're only interested in profits and, and not quality, which is, in my experience, absolutely not true. So it's interesting that I, I think I think it's a you know, you apply that business commercial lens. Should should we be doing something? Is this adding value to us as a business? And those conversations are met with very different reactions in the in the public sector. I think it's mm. it, that's a, that's an interesting challenge. What impact have you seen working in an OPM? Uh, you could del- you could delve into what impact means <laughs> in, in that question. I think there's probably a couple of different angles. Um, I think impact from a commercial sense. Then my immediate reaction goes to. Um, how many students can we enroll into the university's programs but i think obviously there are many other angles like the impact on the student experience um and i recall when i was transitioning from liverpool to laureate um and laureate was a big american company they had uh, a big office in amsterdam in the netherlands and uh, and and a few remote employees um but when i was first making that tra- transition i was invited over to to amsterdam to you know meet some people you know see what's going on in amsterdam and i was honestly blown away by how much resource is applied to encouraging student success like i was bowled over i'd never seen anything like it in in my time in uk higher education um and teams of enrollment advisors like a lot of people of enrollment enrollment advisors whose job it is to pick up the phone and guide interested leads so in the business we would call someone who's shown an interested lead into a program so you know you come along you fill in a request for information form to inquire about studying an mba um, and someone will pick up that phone and call you and have a conversation with you about is this and and not not the old school sales you know used car salesman approach uh, a considered conversation um is an MBA the right program for you, um, or should you know should you be doing something else? Of course, there is then the university admissions conversations that take place as part of, as part of that as well. Which is, you know, have you got the required educational background or the English language, the professional experience, so on and so forth, um, and then guide them through applying for the university degree program. Um, when students become programs, then you know it's almost like a transition. Um, into a student support team so again teams of people who are there who can pick up the phone who can be at the end of an email at the end of an instant chat when students have got any type of problems um, and like any type of problems we would normally try and differentiate the type of problem whether it's academic or non-academic so if it's an academic mm-hmm. query relating to you know completing your coursework then you'll go to your faculty who's teaching the modules um, but anything else you know you've got a student support team there um, for, for many, for many queries, the student support team will be there to support and offer that guidance. Sometimes they might be signposting to you know other university services or other OPM services, depending on the nature of the partnerships. Um, but I'd never seen I, this blow blew my mind. I'd never seen it before. And then even when you step into the faculty area, where um, you know the faculty are teaching, some of these faculty are amazing faculty. Some of them might be. Um, faculty that are actually 
in work and practice applying their knowledge on a daily basis to business mm -hmm. and they do a small gig to do some teaching on, on the side if you like mm -hmm. and and isn't that what we all love of, of that kind of bringing the practice into education and trying to apply theory to practice and i think that gives some really rich amazing experiences other faculty you know would be phd faculty and amazing faculty and you know we've got lots of examples in our partnership now with with interactive problem and brunel and uh, and in particular we've got an msc in psychological sciences which not only recently went through re-accreditation with the british psychological society and the standard of faculty that we have on our team um have been really applauded by brunel and the bps and like more than equivalent level faculty between brunel and ours like really good good people doing an amazing job and and that all blew all of that completely blew me away and the resources and the approach to encouraging student success um just blew me away and and taking that back a little bit to the commercial side is something i'd never really i'd never really thought about i guess was obviously you think opms are all about the money and it's all about just getting students in the door and the quality once they're in the door doesn't really matter actually that's not true because more often than not students will be on financial payment plans with universities so if students drop out after a couple of weeks actually the revenue that comes into the university or the opm is only 10 percent of what it would be if they completed the program 90 percent of the revenue comes from continuing students so the actual incentive is not just about getting them in the door it's about delivering them an amazing student experience with support mechanisms in place that really encourage students to succeed um and all of that as I said, I can't, I can't say it enough, completely blew me away. Mm, yeah, that's a really important message about, you know, online isn't just about putting content on a platform and bringing students through the door. It's about the presence of the faculty that are teaching it and the staff that are teaching it and the people behind the scenes supporting it. I wanted to ask you about your partnership with Brunel University London and their online programmes and your involvement with them. Yeah, it's been it's been a great couple of years. I think we I think we're about three years into the partnership with Brunel. Um, been a really great collaboration. We've got eight online programs that we've developed in collaboration. Um, fully Brunel degrees, all the quality assurance mechanisms in place, and you know we work together across our teams with with different parts of Brunel every day. We support them in in a number of different areas in helping them uh, market and recruit students to the online degrees. So eight online degrees across three subject areas, uh, psychology, public health, there's like four or five programs in public health, um, one in psychology and two in engineering, one in engineering management and one in advanced manufacturing systems. So um, really working with, and, and it starts at the top, you know, it's not just as simple as marketing and recruiting students, but the strategic direction of, Okay, the university recognised that online is an important play for them in the future. Okay, well, how can we support them in that? And you know, we'll do market research. We'll we'll bring ideas to the table. Whether they whether the ideas are programs that exist on campus or programs that don't exist on campus, but identify opportunities. And and I think for us, the kind of golden interplay, if you like, is areas that align to the university strengths and strategic areas um, but also have opportunities in the market to recruit students um, but that's not all we'll do sometimes we'll 
you know, we'll do different different types of programs that represent the university and, and their core values. Um, it's not just for, for us anyway. Uh, I can't say that about all OPM. Certainly my, my old laureate days, we were primarily driven towards um, programs that were going to recruit, you know, a, a few hundred students a year um, as a minimum. Um, whereas I don't think we need to be like that anymore. Um, I don't think that works anymore. I don't think it for, I don't think that that meets the, the needs of universities sufficiently well. I think we need a balanced portfolio. Um, and, and I think we've got that with Brunel and we're growing it and, um, and it's been really good. So yeah, so again, not quite long-winded there, but starting at the strategic direction of, of where we can go, following that through to supporting them with the digitization. So Brunel author all the contents um, and our instructional design service will support them in that, um, producing content, um, a lot of media content, um, different formats really, but um, we've got some green screen studios in London, which are great. Um, we'll do some stuff on campus um, and and yeah, market recruit the students into those programmes, support them along the way and, and support the facilitation of them. So um, lots of collaboration with Brunel, as I said, and they've been a really fantastic partner for us. And you touched on the learning designers working with the academic staff at Brunel. What kind of approach do you take to curriculum design after validation? So there's a couple of things that that come to mind. I've had other conversations similar in the past. Um, there's one there's one part that kind of frustrates me a little bit when I see anybody say that there is a single approach to instructional design or you know learning models and, and pedagogical frameworks like i don't believe there is one that you know one size fits all in anything um, and i have seen some some people talk like that um, i think you need to analyze oh there's an old there's an old model that just actually came to mind i haven't thought about it for a long time back when i was at edge hill um and some work that um, andrew sackville done one of the one of the professors a long time ago uh, talking about purpose audience and form um and how we need to tailor our approaches to developing content and teaching depending on purpose audience and form why we're doing it who we're doing it for how we're going to go about doing it they're all variables and and i think that's very true today um when you know, we've been accustomed to the type of content that MOOCs provide, for example. So you think, oh, well, everything's got to be a video now because that's what MOOCs have. Um, and everything's got to have a discussion forum or or, or whatever. Um, I actually think we need to be a bit more disciplined and a bit more uh, creative and analysing, um, you know, what we're trying to achieve in the delivery of a programme. Um, so by sure, we might have videos and sure, we might have discussion forums, but there's a lot of other tools that we can we can implement. So I don't have... I don't have a single pedagogical approach but then there are some um frameworks or or you know considerations that we would utilize going into that and um i think a lot about conversations with people like simon thompson about the tpac framework which is something i think is really interesting and balancing that technical pedagogical and content knowledge in in the formation of development of of, of curriculum development um i think that's a, a really important consideration and then and then when you kind of Again, in in the university world, I'd never really given any much thought to how the the curriculum development and curriculum design can can straddle over to the business side of things. So, I, and in that, I mean, uh, looking at retention, for example, and trying to to build in almost like 
levers to support retention and challenge and tackle attrition through curriculum development mm-hmm. and things that things like that i'd never really really thought of and so then you get into engagement patterns and of course online is very different than on campus because you don't get to see these people every day and um, so you don't know what they're doing necessarily so how can you build in an, a, an engagement pattern that keeps students wanting to you know, wanting to engage and and when you look at the online audience for, for a master's degree for example it's generally a different audience the audience than what we were used to when we work on campus uh, you, you're kind of increasing that flexibility through online so online students tend to be a little bit older um they're more likely to have a family they're probably rooted more so in in the area where they live they've got family they've got connections they've got a job um it's not the it's not the same person that's going to be um you know travel to a different country to to go and study in, an, in a different environment they are two different people and actually the G- gmac the graduate management admissions council done some really good work a few years ago um in profiling different types of students um and quite clearly you can see that the online student is is as i said you know more more a bit a bit older more family driven um they, they're doing a master's degree um a for the flexibility um b affordability is a key value but see they want to earn a bit more money and maybe get a promotion or a new job mm-hmm. and very different very different from um from other segments um that that go and study so it's interesting when you when you bring all of that together the purpose audience form like who are we developing this degree for what are we trying to achieve out of it um and how does all that bring together come to come together to think about how we design, you know, collaboratively design and develop a program. Yeah, that's that's it's complicated. You know, no silver bullet there, and not a, a simple solution to a complex problem. Thank you. Thanks to Peter Reed for his time and his insight into the world of OPMs. If you've got a comment or a question, then tweet us at Talking He Pod or email Santanu at santanuvasant.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I've been Santanu Vasant, and this has been Talking HE.